Welcome to Paradigms on WBKM.org. This is episode number 62, Sunday, December 19th, 2010. Got a good friend, she's been going through some bad times Between a rock and a hard place where dreams disappear I got troubles of my own, but when I think about her Makes it look like I'm having a pretty good year All my troubles seem small when I see these people with their backs against the wall When I watch what they go through When I see how far they fall Compared to them, I got no troubles at all I turn on my TV and see a grieving mother and the look on her face says there's nothing more to tell Another child who's been caught in the crossfire In some war-torn corner of hell All my troubles seem small When I see these people with their backs against the wall when I watch what they go through When I see how far they fall Compared to them I got no troubles at all Telephone rings in the middle of the night And leaves someone sitting alone in the dark Alone with their questions Alone with their fears Alone with the sound of their thundering heart All my troubles seem small when I see these people with their backs against the wall When I watch what they go through When I see how far they fall Compared to them, I got no troubles at all When I hear myself complain When life seems so unfair I think about these ones who've been broken by despair 
And all my troubles seem small When I see these people with their backs against the wall When I watch what they go through When I see how far they fall Compared to them I got no troubles at all I got no troubles at all Good evening. Welcome to another edition of Paradigms. I'm your host, Baruch. Very happy to be with you here again. Another Sunday night, getting towards solstice. Just a couple more days and we'll have the longest night and then the days will start to get longer again. Woohoo! I'm looking forward to it myself. We've got a great show tonight. We have two guests. Uh, the first is a musician named T.R. Ritchie. He's a songwriter and a, really a poet and Quite an interesting guy. We just heard a song from his most recent CD, which is called Wild Horses. The song is All My Troubles Seem Small. We had a really nice conversation, and, well, I'll let you come to your own conclusions, and you hear what he has to say, and you hear a little bit of the music. He seems to me to be in the bardic tradition. And, uh, anyway, I think you'll enjoy meeting him and, and hearing some of his music. We've also got a guest tonight who is a long-term resident of the United States, a Canadian citizen, who's in the process of being deported based on a criminal charge that doesn't actually exist. It's kind of weird. I'll let him explain it to you. Michael John Burroughs and his partner Leah are here with us tonight. So we'll be meeting them and hearing about their situation and, and what's going on with these weird bureaucratic deportations. Let's start out with the first section of my interview with T.R. Ritchie. We spoke to him just a couple of days ago. You're listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org. My name is T.R. Ritchie. I'm a songwriter. I uh, live in Moab, Utah, and tour out of here about half the year, most of the time, with my partner, Cozy Sheridan. I play bass for her, and uh, two or three times a year, I, I'll do a solo tour Mostly in the West, toward Montana, out toward the West Coast. I always ask musicians, because I, I think it's really interesting, how did you get started playing music? Well, it was in, uh, it was in 1966. I had uh, grown up in Oklahoma, and sometime during my senior year in high school, I, I found out that the Forest Service and the Park Services were uh, offering employment to summer employees, you know, for college students and stuff. So I uh, immediately signed up to get away from the flat country and up into the mountains, sort of my psychic home. And the second year, I was working on a crew with a guy from New Jersey who played guitar. And it was the first time I'd ever, you know, been close to somebody who played that style of guitar, folk guitar, that was in 66. So folk music was, you know, really in the air and on the radio. And I, you know, every night I would sit across from him on the steps of the bunkhouse and he would play the guitar and tell me about Dylan and Gordon Lightfoot and, you know, lots of musicians, Tom Paxton. And uh, 
sing these songs, and that summer I just resolved. I said, man, I want to learn how to do that. So went home back to college and was working as a photographer for the you know journalism department. And took my first little you know student paycheck and bought a cheap Decca guitar, I think it was, and bought some music. Uh, I think it might have been uh, Dylan's Don't Think Twice or something, you know, one of those music charts that had the words and the chord charts. So, and that's kind of, I just started teaching myself because didn't know anybody who played, so I was just fumbling around. And I've kind of been fumbling around ever since. <laughs> so you're completely self-taught. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I don't know quite what that means. You know, you see somebody doing something that, that's interesting, you know, and you just ask them how to do it. Nowadays, of course, God, YouTube, and there's so much access to information that it's... Uh, I would have killed for this kind of information, you know, back in the early days. It would have saved a lot of, you know, repetitious mistakes and could have probably gone a lot faster, got, gotten a lot further a lot faster. It took me a long time to realize, that, you know, what, what uh, uh, open tunings were, you know, and alternate tunings were. I'd hear these things on the, you know, on records and stuff, and it was just impossible to play on, on uh, in standard tuning. And I just thought it was some information privy to to you know professional musicians so that maybe one day I would learn and kind of in a way I did because I realized oh they're just a bad gad or open E or something you know yep so, so had music been something that mattered to you before I, it seems like um, you just picked it up it, I mean you make it sound like it happened easily I'm sure there was plenty of struggle and learning curve there uh, yeah I mean I'm still trying to struggle to keep up as a, as a musician I've always been a, a lyric kind of guy have no problem at all with with my confidence in terms of you know creating lyrics music i'm always trying to learn the next thing to keep me musically interested because you know when i write songs it's i like it to happen you know i like the kernel of a song to happen along with some kind of musical idea because then they kind of you know build on each other and when that happens i don't particularly need the guitar to uh you don't have to put, you have an instrument. I can work on songs wherever I am. Once I have the sort of a framework of musical framework, you know, a melodic idea. And the, the thing of the song that, uh, that is sort of, a, it's like a seed in that an idea will come, but dependent to the idea is the whole, it's sort of the whole song, you know. It's like, finally, I've got it. I know where I need to go with it. All I have to do is exercise my craft. And I know I can do that. The difficult or the challenging part, I guess, of songwriting nowadays for me is the weight, you know, trying to keep myself aware, you know, keep myself open to the true thing, is what I call it, the, the, the thing that arrives sort of as a little gift. All I have to do is unwrap it in the way that I unwrap lyrics and make a song. So it's a lot of waiting and the occasional pounce. I guess maybe, a, you know, I'm like a spider. Spin the web, wait patiently, you know. Every once in a while, a fly will blunder by. You know, I, I've been listening to your CDs in preparation for this, and what you just said is exactly what I wanted to ask you about. It's, it seems like you're more a poet. There's a line I heard in a song of yours today about dancing with our wishes and prayers, and I just, it's beautiful. You know, it's and oh, thanks. And so, and and so many of the songs I haven't listened to everything yet, but they're personal their stories they're transpersonal so you're you're tapping into something that i think people can connect with well yeah that's you know 
every artist is trying to do that. I think, you know, my philosophy is that, uh, there's a big shared experience that, uh, maybe a lot of people don't know they're, they're shared, you know, until they hear a song that really resonates with them or, or they see a piece of art that, that, you know, they really love the artist's style. They go, wow, I don't know what it is, but I get it. You know, they, they can't even articulate sometimes, but you, you know, when something, you know, when something gets you, you know, it's like, geez, I don't know, falling in love, I guess. It's like any kind of relationship with the world where, uh, when you encounter it, you know, it's the real thing. And, uh, that's you know that that's what I do with uh, you know in my search for songs and I'm waiting to encounter the real thing. Once I do, the song happens pretty quickly. That that particular song called "Meet You Halfway" was a well, I, you know I wrote that. I remember writing that in a couple of days. And of course the there's always one little part where you you know after you've written it you go well, that's not quite right, but I don't know how it was. And in that particular song I, I remember the line that took me a long time to come up with was you know the night is tied up with an indigo ribbon the sun has gone down in flames and it was that that line the sun has gone down in flames which is uh what it always does you know i mean that's what the sun is <laughs> it always goes down you know it's a literal line but it's also a poetic line it's like ah that's the, you know that that song and you know that line is home and that song is done when i when i hit upon that line and it took a lot of a lot of walking around you know i usually walk when i write i was living in seattle at the time and i'd I would just go out and walk the hills, you know, the streets and hills, and work on the song in my head. You can't force it. No, uh, I've tried to, you know, make songs happen, and uh, I get impatient with it because nothing really happens, you know. It's like uh, it's just busy work to me. I'd rather, you know, go out and uh, rake the leaves and hope that, you know, and, and more than once something I'd be doing something like that, you know, some kind of physical labor and. Uh, a thing will come to me, you know, a line or a, an idea for a song. And uh, so I, I played a, place a lot of faith in, in a physical activity, you know, in encountering, going out and and being a sort of a sensual animal in the world, just engaging your senses out there. And, uh, you know, that's what we're meant to do. Get out of your head, you know, get down into your animal senses. And, and uh, that's where you can really feel things. When you look back over your work, do you feel like there's some sort of overarching thing you're translating for us that you're communicating that's coming through you? Well, I, you know, I don't know. As, as I get older, I uh, I realize, for me, it becomes uh, it's as if, you know, I spent the first half of my life trying to figure things out, you know, do it in my head, you know, angle and, you know, and kind of think my way through things and uh, as I got older I realized how important you know the intuitiveness of life is uh, as I look back on a, a lot of accidents have happened in my favor and a lot of little inclinations that I've followed up on have been very uh, very fruitful so and you know so I guess you know that's what I would like to communicate people is just like listen to the that still small voice that just suggests stuff to you doesn't insist you do it. It doesn't yell at you. I found that the voices, you know, that, that of advice in your head that are always yelling at you are always lying. You know, they're always <laughs> telling you you got to do this, you can't do that. And the louder the voice, the more I'm suspect that it knows what it's talking about. It's the trickster but, voice. Yeah, and you got to you got to be able to make yourself quiet to hear it. 
a little quiet one, you know, and, and uh, because it just goes along in a very small thing. It says, well, I wonder what would happen if you did this, you know. That's the first part of my conversation with T.R. Ritchie. I heard of T.R. first because I interviewed his partner, Cozy Sheridan, who was on the show earlier this year, and she mentioned T.R. I'd, I'd never heard of him before, so I sought out his music and did some listening and really enjoyed what I was hearing. He's such a poet. He's such a lyricist. As he, as he says, you know, that's really a big part of it for him. And I found in each song I listened to that the way he works with the words touched me, and I thought it would be great to have him on the show. We're going to listen to some more music from TR right now. This next one comes from an album he did in 2004 called Changing of the Guard. The song is called Meet You Halfway. I'll meet you halfway Somewhere in the night Look for me just past the moon Second star to the right I'll meet you halfway In a dream we are having somewhere And the two of us and go dancing among all our wishes and prayers I'll meet you halfway and you'll know who I am I'll be the one with that look in his eye the one with his heart in his hand I'll wear my favorite colors you wear your favorite shoes We can waltz to the edge of the night And watch tomorrow come true The sun has gone down in flames If we listen as hard as we can We might hear the stars singing our names I'll meet you halfway Just call if you think you'll be late There's no place that I have to be and I don't really mind the way I'll meet you halfway Come just as soon as you're free I've already saved you this dance And time means nothing to me I've already saved you this dance and time means nothing to me At a table for one 
in a little cafe. I am having my dinner tonight. Candles burn brightly, and soft music plays, and the wine is a vintage I like. I come here sometimes after the show to get lost in this bustle and hum. Content to be just a face in the crowd here at this table for one. I watch the young lovers make eyes at each other in their own little corners of time. I gaze out the window and smile to myself at these little secrets of mine. I think of old friends. And places I've been, and causes to which I have clung, and I'm lucky to be in such good company here at this table for one. And I feel at home at this table for one, where nobody needs. And yes, I know how it might look to some, but that's just the shadows telling them lies. At a table for one, you just might be surprised at how lively a party can be. There's always a couple of games to be played concerning the future and me. There's always a couple of laughs to be had when I think of some things I have done. There's always a time for the moments to shine. Here at this table for one, there's always a time for the moments to shine. Here at this table for one. T.R. Ritchie, Table for One, from his CD, Home Ground. Before that, we heard Meet You Halfway from his CD called Changing of the Guard. There's a link to T.R.'s website and also to his CD Baby page at paradigms.bz. Check that out. He's got five CDs out, and they're pretty wonderful. I've had a really great time listening to them. Let's get into the second part of our interview with T.R. Ritchie on Paradigms on WBKM.org. When I learned to play bass, I had for a long time thought, you know, I might like to do that. And uh, but I guess I was waiting to, 
to you know to meet up with Cozy, and she she was off on tour by herself, and and uh, so I borrowed a bass and an amp and just put her records on and started started uh, you know copping the bass parts off of her records because she had a really good bass player you know recorded it. So I kind of learned how to play bass from Kent Allen, who's a great bass player back in New England, and uh, sort of backed into the bass that way, and that, and that's kind of how I do a lot of things. Once I figure out what I want, then I'm not a big one for like formal training. I figure, well, <laughs> what's the easiest way to learn this, you know, which is generally the long way around and not the easiest way, but kind of works for me. So, What you're saying right now, what you said a minute ago, I just want to go back to it because I think it's really important. I think a lot of times people have a an attraction or a desire or even a gift for something, but that voice that says you can't wins out. And when I talk to people and I'm talking with you and you're someone who has put that voice in its place, probably you have to do it over and over, but you you don't seem to be letting the you can't voice win. And I wonder, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do I do it? Yeah. You know, not everyone knows how to, how to do that. Well, uh, when I was a fire lookout, you know, back in the 80s, one year I decided to teach myself to draw. And I got a sketch because, you know, what are you doing on lookout? You're sitting and looking at stuff, you know, all day long. So I got a sketch pad and I taught myself to draw by looking at stuff. And I realized, you know, when you stop, when you, and I've tried to, to help other people draw. And it's, it's funny how people, when they start up again in adulthood, I've seen this many times, they'll buy their sketch pad and they'll start to draw. And they draw just like they drew in the second grade when somebody or somehow they got the message, you can't draw. Hmm. You know, they pick up exactly creatively and, you know, where they were then and they draw this little drawing that looks like they did it, you know, somebody, somebody in the second grade did it. And it kind of shames them, you know, because it's, they're adults and, and they're drawing like a second grader, you know. And a lot of times that, they'll shut down, you know, they say, oh, I'm, I'm ashamed of this. I can't do it. Uh, and, and that's it. You know, they close the book. But if you realize that when you go back to that beginner's mind, you're going to pick up right wherever it was you left off. And if you, if you never started, you're going to start at the beginning. And, I've, you know, I've read enough books to realize that's not the enemy. You know, the enemy is not being no good at something. Everybody's no good when they start doing anything, when they start learning anything. It's uh, the time you put into things. You know, the things you do the most are the things you get good at. And... If you tell yourself you can't do something, you get really good at telling yourself you can't do it. <laughs> you know, That's but you know, if you procrastinate, you get really good at that. You know. Yep. Yep. But uh, it's pretty simple, really. It kind of is, you know. And the sooner you realize you're going to die, the sooner you can get down to business, you know, and do the things you want to do. You know, it's just it's just a matter of finding a a reason that's that, you know, that get, carries a bigger stick than, than all of those limiting things, you know. It says you can't do stuff or you're no good. We, uh, Cozy and I started this, uh, the Moab Folk Camp out here three years ago. Students come uh, every year, 30 or 40 of them, and they're not professional musicians. A lot of them are people who've had professions and maybe they're retired, semi-retired, and they're going back to this thing they loved that, 
you know, that circumstances prevented them from pursuing for a while. Now they're picking them back up, you know. And they don't care that they're not professionals. They love what they're doing at the level they're doing it. They love playing for each other and stuff. And uh, it's it's kind of one of the one of the, the best things we've ever done is, you know, talking to ourselves and saying, hey, let's let's get some people to, to come out here to Moab and, and how can we, you know, how can we trick them out here? And <laughs> we go, okay, let's, let's have a music camp, you know, and invite them. So that has been great, you know, to watch, to watch people come and, and uh, just have a great time for those few days, you know, for that week. With this love of something they have that, that may not have a practical application in their other life, you know, their life away from here. Not not everybody becomes a, a troubadour and goes out there and puts that at, at the forefront of their lives, and that's fine. I bet you so, are uh, a wonderful host and mentor at that, because I, I in your uh, lyrics and talking with you, you know, you seem like a someone who's really paying attention. Well, <laughs> I wish that were true. <laughs> well, at least some Cody's of the time. The one who, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very. Uh, good with my hand, you know. I'm, I'm sort of a, the mechanical mover and shaker of our, our little camp. I make the campfire happen and, you know, do all of the website and all of that stuff. And, uh, but uh, as far as, and, you know, it's, it's not like I'm a ogre or anything, but I don't think I'm as good a teacher as Cozy's a great teacher because she, you know, she, she nourishes the students. And I'm the kind of guy who goes at the song, you know, and says, how can we make this song as good as it can be? And sometimes, you know, you have to uh, to sacrifice part of yourself as a songwriter to to make the song good. You know, I call it I call it killing my babies. Actually, you write a song, it's got a great line in it. The line is so good that it stops the song. You know, and uh, and you hate to give it up because it it could be the thing that started you writing that song. But there's something about that line that is getting in the way. And at some point you have to go, you know, that line has to, has to, has to, to come out of the song, you know, thanks, but I gotta, I gotta cut it. So. That's a uh, great metaphor too, you know, because we get attached to whatever we get attached to. And sometimes in order to move forward, we really have to let it go, even though it, we're so comfortable with it or it seems so perfect. Yeah. And it'll come with the, with the uh, you know, the realization that, oh, man, I got to go way back. You know, <laughs> I have to, not to the drawing board particularly, but I've got, there's a lot of work here that was dependent upon this that now has no relevance. So now I have to to rethink it. Take I, a new uh, foundation. Yeah. My last CD I made here, I bought a digital recorder and, and made it at home. And it was great fun figuring out how to sing songs, how to arrange them and stuff. But numerous times I'd come up against a situation where by recording the song and listening to it, the recording told me it wasn't right. You know, it wouldn't tell me what to do to fix it. And that became the frustrating thing. So I'd have to sit with things, you know, what, why doesn't this work? You know, what, what am I going to have to do? And then that's my job is to figure out the next thing, you know, and eventually I, I got them all into a shape I was happy with. But but there is that realization sometimes when the the thing that feels so right and and um, perfect when you get it away from yourself, they record it or something, listen back to you, you go, ew, what was I thinking? You know, and you realize, no, 
I hear it one way in my head, but when it's when I record it, it doesn't sound like that, you know. So those sort of sinking feelings that make you realize, well, my work is not done. <laughs> but it's a good thing the work is not done because when the work is done, then you're done. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's like every time I write a song, uh, I'm you know elated that it's finished, but. Almost immediately, I think, well, I'll never write another one. I don't know how I wrote this one. You know, it's all complete, and, and I've forgotten all of the fits and starts and things. And the, the well for the moment is empty, you know. It's just like a dry hole. And so there's that feeling of, yeah, man, you know, this may be the last one. But and eventually that will happen. But meanwhile, you just have to sort of ignore your own feelings a lot of times. And that's where the brain comes in handy. You know, you've written before, you will write again. You know, you don't have any emotional belief in those after you've, you've you know, after I've finished a song. I, I can't really believe that statement, but I just have to uh, trust it, you know. Say, okay, I don't believe it. I'm not going to labor on it. I'll go out and, you know, rake the leaves or take a walk up in the hills or something, you know, get away from, get, get away from this, this situation and, change my environment both psychologically and you know physically yeah i think after any any creative act or or after you know after when people give when women give birth or all kinds of things people think oh that's it, it there's an ending and and it's such a momentous ending that the ending becomes the focus in that moment but it's a cycle because then there's that ending and then there's another beginning and where will that lead and yeah, you know, you have your little moment of elation after it's done, and you, you know, you sing the song a whole lot, and, and uh, or you do a drawing, and you look at it a whole bunch from different angles, and and but eventually it's like, okay, what's next, you know? And then it's uh, the hunt is back on, and it's, uh, I, you know, I love this because it, it, you, you never get, it never becomes uh, a kind of never becomes routine you know it's always a voyage of discovery and, and no two songs look alike and they don't come in the same way you know and you, and you never know which of your experiences is going to uh, it's going to you know or encounters with somebody else or whatever you don't you never know when those are going to birth the kernel of the next song so it makes for a, a pretty exciting inner life you know, even though I'm still essentially at heart a lookout, you know, <laughs> sitting watching the world, you know, and, and uh, well, trying I, to make sense of it. I guess they call it postpartum after you experience an act of creation and then it's done and then there's that sort of crash and then you have to navigate through that and find your way to the next creative inspiration, whatever that may be. It's interesting hearing TR talk about how he finds his way through that process by going outside by doing physical things by connecting with nature by connecting with his animal self i think there's a lot to that unfortunately more and more in western society we seem to have sort of nature deficit disorder where more and more people spend more and more time not in nature but i know for me and i'm fortunate to live in a place where i can see mountains and sky and i can see the stars at night it really feeds me. It keeps me going. So that was the second part of our interview with T.R. Ritchie. We have one more section of that coming up, but first we're going to listen to some more music. 
I hope you're enjoying the evening. Remember that all of our episodes are archived at paradigms.bz. They're available through the iTunes store, so you can always catch up on Paradigms if you missed an episode or if you'd like to hear it again. As I said earlier, we're headed towards solstice. We're almost at the longest night of the year. I find for myself this time of year, I just want to dream and sleep. I I think I have relatives who are bears because I really just get that hibernation thing going on. And I hope that you are allowing yourself the time and space to experience what this time of the season does for you. We're such creatures, as TR was talking about, and our biology is all connected with the time of year, with the seasons. Obviously, if you're in the southern hemisphere, you're headed towards the longest day of the year and the shortest night, so it has a whole different meaning and effect on you. Wherever you are, letting yourself feel the way the Earth's trip around the sun affects you personally, physically, emotionally. It's part of being alive. All right, this next song is called Easy Come, Easy Go. It's from uh, an album TR did in 2004 called Not Just Another Pretty Songwriter, which I think is a great album title. Here's TR Ritchie on WBKM.org. Live with your heart into your sleep 
be short and time rolls on And all that remains when you come and gone Is a crooked line, a footprint that you leave I say make your peace the best you can Between lady luck and the bogeyman And learn to live with your heart bend to your sleeve Life is short rolls on and all that remains when you come and gone is a crooked line the footprints that you leave Straight as they lace, not an inch off the mark, not a hair out of place. Shoulder to the wheel, one eye on the ball, the other eye glued to the clock on the wall. But sometimes in the back of my mind, a little voice said, son, you're gonna be in your grave one of these days, and it'll be a little late to change your ways. Now is the time to get your living done. Well, everybody said I was doing just fine Pulling my weight, towing the line But at night, I lay in bed losing sleep And it did not do much good counting sheep Seeing those sheep made me think about what I had become You're gonna be in your grave one of these days And it'll be a little late to change your ways Now is the time to get your living done One day there's gonna be a knock at your door And it'll be Mr. Death come to settle up the score He'll say, drop what you're doing, don't bother to pack The hearse outside don't have a luggage rack Well, it took a little time to readjust my sights But one day I finally started to see the light Got off the treadmill, let down my hair Opened the window to get some fresh air Looked at my face in the mirror and said rule number one Now is the time to get your living done There's gonna be a knock at your door And it'll be Mr. Death come to settle up the score He'll say, drop what you're doing Don't bother to pack 
The hearse outside don't have a luggage rack Well, it took a little time to readjust my sights But one day I finally started to see the light Got off the treadmill, let down my hair Opened the window to get some fresh air Looked at my face in the mirror and said Rule number one Now is the time to get your living done Now is the time to get your living done Now is the time to get your living done That one's called Rule Number One, T.R. Ritchie from his CD Home Ground. Before that, Easy Come, Easy Go from Not Just Another Pretty Songwriter. Let's get into our final uh, bit of interview with T.R. Ritchie and some more music, and then we'll hear the conversation I had with Michael, John Burroughs, and Leah Ryder. Here's T.R. Ritchie on Paradigms. Okay, so here you are. You're this. You're this person. You've lived this amount of time. You've had these experiences. You've gone this direction. You've developed yourself the way you have. What are your thoughts? What do you see happening in the world? What are your wishes and prayers that you dance with? How do you see what's going on? Well, you, it's a. Uh, and you can't cuss on the air. Uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are things you can do and things you can't do. You know, in the in the in the really really long run i just have to look out my window at you know these red rocks that rise up around the house and and uh, realize those things are you know 200 million years in the making and you know we could all be gone you know like the dinosaurs we could all be gone and they'd still be standing there so i i the old earth it's going to take care of herself you know and uh this this little funny little species called man is is getting himself into trouble and i don't know that i don't know that we can get out of it i think there's a solution and uh we may not like it you know Mm. meanwhile you know what can i do i cannot i cannot clean up the gulf you know i can't stop the war in afghanistan like you know I, i can't reason with you know the iranian parliament i can't do any of that it really does me no good to know about it, you know. What I can do is is uh, try to to live a sort of a graceful life, a simple life where I don't uh, don't demand too much of the earth. You know, you can't live without something else sacrificing itself to you. But uh, to try to you know to live a, a right life, whatever that is, you know, a kind of graceful, meaningful life offer some kind of example, maybe, you know, some kind of long view example, which I think my songs are, you know, I try to take a, a perspective where we really are em- empowered in our lives to, we have that choice to live proactively or to just react to stuff. And I found it's much better to to live proactively. We were, we were born with hands, we were not born with pockets. And that sort of is a clue on which way to go, you know, do something with your hands, you know, create something, you know, make it a better place somehow, however way you operate in the world. Artists can do it in a very 
you know, we get to do it in this very abstract way that you can either hang on the wall or put on your CD player. And but you know, there's nothing like a good finished carpenter, you know, or a plumber that knows his work and and is taking care of his community. You know, that's kind of where it really is. Is there any kind of final message you want to make sure people hear? I'm not really sure about that. You know, I mean, there's, there's the, the, the mind clogs with things I could say, but uh, I guess it would be, you know, the famous Woody Guthrie statement, you know, take it easy, but take it, you know, don't take it, take, you know, go easy in your life, but don't forget to live it, you know, because it's, it's the one thing you got. And uh, there are many ways to, many ways to, to live a graceful life. And really, your only job is to is to live this one life you have in uh, in a way that is fulfilling. And that's a that's a simple sentence, and it takes your entire lifetime to you know figure out what that means. <laughs> you know? Yes. Well, thank you so much, T.R. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. I will definitely be looking for T.R. Ritchie when he is touring in the East next so that I can meet him in person and, and enjoy an evening of his music live. I think that would be great. And I know that he tours around with uh, his partner, Cozy Sheridan, so be on the lookout. We're going to listen to one more song of TR's, and then we're going to get into the next part of the show. This is called My Father's Wildest Dream, and it's the title track of an album TR put out in 2003. My father lived a quiet life Of ordinary means Safe within the soft confines Of comfortable routines As steady as the ticking clock That measured out his days He walked a straight and narrow path but I went the other way cross your fingers place your bets see what tomorrow brings it might be argued I became my father's wildest dream I do not have my father's eyes Nor were our views the same He gave himself to order But I would not be tamed An unresolved transgression His misbegotten child A weed among his roses that flourished in the wild cross your fingers place your bets see what tomorrow brings it might be argued 
I became my father's wildest dream. I was with him when he died one late November day. But there was no exchange of words before he slipped away. Thus it sometimes is between the father and the son. Strangers of a common Without a common tongue Cross your fingers Place your bets See what tomorrow brings It might be argued I became my father's wildest dream It might be argued I became my father's Wildest dream. T.R. Ritchie. I hope you'll check out his music. Well, let's get into the second part of the show now, and we're going to be meeting two people, Michael and Leah. Michael John Burroughs is in the middle of a very unpleasant process of possibly being deported from the United States. He's a long-term resident. And I'll just, we'll just get into the interview and you can hear for yourself what's going on. It's, it's pretty ugly, actually. And the reason that I'm bringing this issue onto paradigms is because it's something that's happening more and more in this country, that what was once a country that welcomed people from around the world is becoming a place of fear and a lot of people want to close borders, and, and the borders are effectively closing, although that's not what it's being called. And precedents are being set in the realm of bureaucratic deportations that could have dangerous ramifications for the future as the government in this country becomes more and more totalitarian. I know I really like to focus on inspiration on paradigms. The reason this segment is important, to me at least, is it says that when we hear about situations like this, maybe we can be inspired to do something. Maybe there's someone you know who's undergoing a rather insane bureaucratic deportation process from the U.S. government, or maybe there's another injustice you're aware of that needs attention. So it's worth knowing about these and speaking up and hearing from other people who are speaking up. So let's hear the first part of my conversation with Michael and Leah. My name is Mike Burroughs, and uh, I'm the poster boy for immigration persecution. And I'm Leah. I'm the girlfriend, Leah Ryder. Welcome to Paradigms, Michael and Leah. I'm really glad to have you both with us today. Well, thanks for having us. Michael, can you explain what you mean you're the poster boy? What are you talking about? Well, I'm not the only poster boy, let me just say that. There's, there's plenty of us. But, uh, you know, I fit the criteria in that I've been in this country for uh, 50 years, since 1962. Um, and when I was 18 years old in 1978, a friend of mine had a stolen 8-track, it was worth $50, tape deck in my uh, car. 
and we got pulled over, and because it was in my car, and because I kept my mouth shut, and sort of a misguided attempted loyalty, you know, as a youth was young, I ended up getting charged with receiving stolen goods. It was a misdemeanor, and uh, it carried a 365-day suspended sentence. Um, fast forward 32 years later, I'm going through a divorce, and my uh, immigration file comes across. This is at 2001, this, uh, in October, about a month after you know, the 911. So immigration had fallen under the DHS umbrella, and they, they were reviewing people's files you know, if you came across their desk, and mine did. And uh, I was put into removal proceedings for that 1978 conviction. Because under federal guidelines, since it carried a 365-day suspended sentence, for their purposes, no matter what the charge was, no matter how minor, uh, it was considered an aggravated felony, which made me removable. And keep in mind, this is a 1996 law that's applied retroactively to a 1978 misdemeanor that was expunged in 1983. Expungement offers no relief. I even went back to court in 2006 and took the expunged case had it reopened and vacated, a quorum novus, which is a writ of error because I was over-sentenced for it, and uh, had it uh, reduced to a non-deportable offense, and the government uh, will, will not recognize it. So Mike's being deported for a conviction that does not exist. So that sounds crazy. It's crazy, and the federal government can do any crazy thing it wants. And the reality is, is that once you get on that you know, the, the removal merry-go-round, uh, there's really no way to get off unless a higher court orders it. And in my case, they're fighting me on grounds of, uh, of time tolling limits. In short, they sent me a, uh, they sent, I, when I appealed my sentence, they sent me a, uh, a notice of decision that I never received. They claimed they sent it. And so uh, about a year and a half later, the ICE pulled my bail and took my $10,000 bond. I've been without bond for two years, so I could, like I said, go at any time. The reasoning for that was I did not uh, apparently uh, respond to their, you know, letter that I never got. So the Board of Immigration Appeals never served the final removal order. Mike found out well over a year later from the bonding company when the DHS strong-armed them into forfeiting the bond. So not only did Mike's dad lose out on the $10,000 cash, he was charged a $4,000 penalty. And to top that, because Mike wasn't informed until way past deadline, he did file with the Ninth Circuit Federal Appeals Court within two days of actually finding out about his final removal order, which would be considered actual notice. But because the Ninth Circuit would never recognize that, the merits of Mike's case have never been heard, and he keeps getting blocked on time tolling, even though it's the fault of the government that he wasn't considered timely in his filing. And the reason for that is, is because what essentially happens when the case gets in front of a judge, like in the Ninth Circuit, the uh, immigration will say, well, you know, he's, um, he's gone past the time tolling. And so they won't look any further and even, uh, from what I can tell, even read the brief. And that explains why the time tolling is the way it is. It doesn't even get to the judges because the clerks look at it first. And their first job is to dismiss stuff because they have such a heavy docket. The Board of Immigration Appeals has just dumped so many cases on the courts that they don't have time to look at everything. 
So essentially, the case gets dismissed before the merits are ever heard. And, you know, the case is a dead bang winner on about four or five different points. There's a law that says that they can't retroactively prosecute crimes before, I believe it's 1988. 88. 88. Mine was in 78. There's also a thing called Codus Vargas, which says that they have to drop the deportation if the status of the, the removable offense has been changed they re, you know they, that hasn't happened because again i can't get in front of a judge so basically the law is on mike's side but he could never get heard because of these time tolling constraints let me ask a couple of questions here it sounds like you're just you're caught in the bureaucratic ringer exactly my question uh the first thing that comes to mind is is there any other reason they want you out of the country? Are you political? Are you you know what? Who are you? I'm absolutely nobody. I'm Joe Average. You know, I mean, I uh, I've worked in advertising and and music, and I have no political affiliation. Certainly nothing, uh, you know, anything you would call uh, controversial. Okay. And the country so, they want to deport you to is Canada, which is one of our closest allies. Right. And, and you know what? People have said to me, occasionally somebody say, well, gee, there's worse places you could be deported to. But the fact is, I have no living relatives or friends or anybody in Canada. My parents are down here. They're both elderly. My mother has Alzheimer's. I have two children down here. I have a brother. I have uh, a niece and a nephew. You know, um, like I said, you know, my son's 19 years old. He's going to college. And there's a lifetime ban on re-entry for criminals. And if I should want to cross back in, it's a 20-year federal sentence in jail for coming back in, you know. So it puts me between a rock and a very hard spot. And Mike's mother, who has Alzheimer's disease, is never going to visit him in Canada. Of course not. You're, are you allowed to have legal representation? Um, I am, but there's a couple of problems with that. I've been fighting this for nine years. I've been pro se. In other words, I've represented myself up until now. Because if I, to put it this way, we figured out that I sat and figured out if you looked at the hours it would have taken to get me to the point where I'm at now, nine years later, I spent a half a million dollars or more. You know, that's just a little deeper than my pockets. Well, we have tried to get pro bono legal help, and we've actually had lawyers approach us. We send them all our documents, we fax them stuff, and then they end up telling us it's too complex, they don't want to touch it. So one of the things that we just filed with the court is an application for pro bono counsel. So they could choose to appoint us counsel. And um, it's, not, it's not just the issue of getting help. It's getting qualified help. This is a very esoteric area of a very esoteric law, you know, set of laws, immigration, and they're very fluid. The laws change all the time. You can't just go to an immigration attorney. You have to go to an attorney who specializes in criminal immigration. See, most immigration attorneys specialize in getting migrant workers green cards and work permits and that kind of thing, and clearly that's not going to help me. Michael John Burroughs and Leah Reiter, that's the first half of my interview with them. It's really hard to know why the government is doing these things. Is it just mindless bureaucracy following its rules, even when those rules don't make sense? Is this the government laying groundwork to make it easier to strip people of citizenship, to deport people in the future? One can only speculate. But one thing's for sure, it doesn't make any sense from the human point of view. And that's a pretty important point of view, because that's what we are. We're human. We're not machines. And the government seems to behave like a machine, and we have to change that. I asked Michael and Leah if there were any pieces of music they wanted to share that kind of felt like part of their story, and they picked two 
songs I'm going to play for you now, which I'm sure you'll recognize. This first one is from Buffalo Springfield. You're listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org. Something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down being drawn Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speak in their minds are getting so much resistance from behind Every time we stop Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down A field day for the heat A thousand people in the street Singing songs and carrying signs Mostly say hooray for our side It's time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going
Elvis Costello. Every day I write the book. Every day we write our own story, right? For what it's worth before that, Buffalo Springfield. Those were songs picked out by our guests, Michael and Leah, because they felt they had some relevance to their situation. Let's hear the second part of my conversation with Michael and Leah, and then we'll get into some more music and wind up the show for tonight. Here's Michael and Leah on Paradigms. Is this as simple as the bureaucratic ringer, or does the government have some other agenda? Obviously, we have to speculate in considering that question. You know, you would think, given given the ferocity with which they pursued me over the nine years, that I they had some sort of agenda or that I was some sort of dissident or troublemaker. But the fact is, is that I'm just like you. I'm just like any other person. It's just that that's the way it works. In fact, if you read my blog on, uh, it's uh, proburrows.blogspot.com. Post your voice for immigration persecution. There's also a space on it where you can sign the petition. I've got a petition currently uh, from change.org. Uh, we're trying to get a pardon from the governor. So I need people to sign that petition if they can, you know, at proburrows.blogspot.com. The complexity of the matter is, is that, the fact is, is that, you know, uh, I think we were talking about representation. Mm-hmm. You just can't find somebody that will we'll take on this case that is qualified. Here's the thing. I mean, even the ACLU and the lawyers did. The ACLU told me they can't help me because my case is not, is not going to, it's not a, a case of uh, like uh, precedent setting case. Right, right, right. And it's complex. And the lawyers still told me they couldn't help me because I'm not in custody currently, although I'm close. So unless, you know, I, I set a precedent or I, I'm in jail, it's pretty hard to get any help. But you were asking about Baruch's government agenda. They have a quota for deportations and for detentions, and they have contracts with private prison companies. And, well, but basically, in short, the problem is, is that if you've got a huge bureaucracy, you've got to put some checks in the W column. And uh, you were asking about if they had an agenda, if I had some sort of you know, reason that they would come after me like this. And the fact is, it's nothing I've done. It's just that, again, they've got to, you know, justify their bureaucracy and they got to put some checks in the W column. One of the reasons we're so nervous is it's the end of the year and they want to fill their quotas, the people who work for ICE and Department of Homeland Security. And they want to fill those cells. They love nothing more than to have you fight your case from a cement box. And which basically puts you at a disadvantage. For listeners who don't know, ICE is uh, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and I encountered them in New Orleans post-Katrina, and they're, they're really thugs. Yeah, they're not nice guys. No. And, uh, you know, I've already been, I already spent a month in detention when I was, uh, first came across, you know, their table. They put me into uh, detention, and I can tell you it's not a fun place to be. Now, I wonder if... You know, again, I'm speculating, are they trying to establish precedent? During the Bush administration, there was talk about uh, being able to strip people of their citizenship and deport them. Yes, that's correct. That's that's probably going to be next. People don't realize that, you know, the, the next step after... Uh, you know, removing uh, long uh, lifetime, you know, permanent residence LPRs, is that yeah, they're, they're, there's talk of stripping people of that have actually naturalized here. Yeah. Yeah, they are following the Nazi playbook. That's yes, for sure. Very much so. Very much so. And in fact, we live at the uh, we live in fear of the five o'clock Gestapo kick into the door. In this case, it's ICE, but you know. Well, I can hear it in both of your voices that you're on edge. You both sound pressured. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Um, I'm yeah, well, I lived with this for nine years. You know, it's nine years cumulatively. It starts to add up. Yeah. 
okay, you said you're not the only one, and we're, we're talking about government agenda and precedent and, you know, possible ramifications. Who else is this happening to, and what kind of recourse do people have, if any, and what's sort of happening in, with this issue beyond you? They're, they're deporting pretty much anybody. In fact, uh, they're even deporting uh, veterans of uh, military service that are not American citizens. Right, Leah, can right. and if you go to change.org, the petition site, there are petitions, uh, there's a whole category for immigrant rights, and you'll see something there for the veterans as, as well. And Banished Veterans is doing their best to get the word out, too. They're not only deporting veterans, they're deporting children. There's a story in the news now about a child who is ill, and he can only get medication from this country. So they really have no bounds. That's the problem. There's no humanity, and judges have been stripped of their discretion by the 1996 law. It's it, the best shot that any of us have is public opinion and pressure on governors. Governors can issue pardons. Senators can um, initiate private bills, which are tough to get, but they do it. Um, public pressure is the only tool we have, and thank God for social media, because the mainstream media does a terrible job of reporting on this. Yeah, they could really care less, it seems. Well, it's just ugly. It's very ugly. Yeah, I never thought in my lifetime I'd be waiting for that knock on the middle of the door. I might as well be in Nazi-occupied Europe. I am so sorry that, that you and, and that anyone has to go through this. It's so, it's inhumane, and it's exactly counter to the mythology of what the United States is, which helps... Exactly the mythology of what the United States is. Land of the free, where anyone can pick themselves up by their bootstraps and make it. I wish you luck, and I wish there was something I could do to help. Hopefully, getting this He's out. He's doing on the it air. right now. Getting the word out is huge. I and you know, that. another thing is, is is if we can direct people to proboroughs.blogspot.com, so they can link onto that change.org petition and and sign the petition. I don't know that it'll work, but it certainly it certainly helps. And I'd also like to give a plug for you two asked earlier, banished veterans, because these guys are really suffering too. I mean, these are guys that have served this country honorably and because of some blemish, usually pretty small in their past, and the, the immigrant hysteria since September 11th, these guys are real victims. And, and you know, these, we're talking about people that have served this country and put their lives on the line. And, and the government's uh, appreciation uh, does not uh, exist. In fact, uh, you know, like I said, they're, they're trying to uh, deport these guys that honorably serve this country. And I don't know if it makes me mad or it might make, makes me mad or almost in my case. It seems to me that at one time there was a, maybe this existed, maybe I'm just imagining it, that um, foreign nationals who served in the U.S. military were then fast-tracked to citizenship if they wanted it. Yeah, that was my understanding, too. You know, a lot of people, speaking of that, a lot of people that could become citizens a lot of times don't, and they probably should, but like in my case, I've been here since 62, and I never um, became an American citizen, and people have asked me many times, you know, why did you do that in all those years? And the answer is really simple. I never felt like anything but an American. I've been here since two years, old. Wow. And I guess in retrospect, I should have, but you know, like I said, up until this came up, I never ever even considered this possibility, and I certainly never felt like anything but an American. And he can throw me out of this country, but I'm still going to always be an American. I hope that you will keep me posted on what happens. I will. And I will keep my listeners apprised of, what, of your progress and your situation. We certainly appreciate your interest in this and, and, and people like you that are pioneering this cause. And I say pioneering because you really are pioneering it. 
there are not a lot of people that are aware of this, and uh, I think that's by design. So it's going to take people like yourself to you know, really get the word out and constantly make sure that people are aware this is going on every minute of every day. Well, I'll do what I can, and hopefully listeners will go check out your blog and, and check out the change.org site, and we'll see if we can get some more momentum going. Well, we should appreciate that. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. I hope you'll check out Michael's blog site, proboroughs.blogspot.com, and you can just find a link to it at paradigms.bz, uh, if that's easier. And from his website, you can also find the petition at change.org. So check that out. It's an issue worth learning about. These are nice people, and they are amongst many, many perfectly nice people who are facing these bizarre bureaucratic deportations based on these reactionary rules that Congress made. Anyway, it's a long story. We've just touched on the tip of the iceberg tonight, but if you're interested, I hope you'll learn more about it. There are also some links at paradigms.bz to organizations that will help you learn more about immigrant rights and what's going on with that. We're headed towards the end of the show. We're going to listen to a little more music. These next two tracks I picked really for Michael and Leah. The first one is called Go No More A Roving. It's Leonard Cohen on Paradigms on WBKM.org.
That's Richard Schindel with a song called You Stay Here from his album Somewhere Near Patterson. And from Dear Heather, we heard Leonard Cohen, Go No More A-Roving. And I just send those out to Michael and Leah in the hopes that they're able to get the United States government to stop screwing with them. <laughs> well, we're coming to the end of the show. It's, as always, a pleasure to present Paradigms to you. And I love hearing from people. I love hearing your feedback. I love hearing your ideas. You can always email me, Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H, at M-C-N dot org. Or just go to the Paradigms website, paradigms.bz, and click on email. And if you haven't been to the WBKM website lately, it's been completely redone. It's really beautiful. It's functional. WBKM.org, which is the home of Paradigms. And it's the holidays. I just want to put this out that the, the guys who started WBKM, Eric and Tony, are pretty amazing people who have been keeping this station going, building their vision, and presenting radio in a way that has almost died out in this country. And even though this is an internet radio station, it's a real radio station. It's the way radio used to be. And appreciate you listening and supporting Paradigms and supporting WBKM. Next week's show features finalists in the Curry Stone Design Prize contest. The Curry Stone Foundation gives out a design prize every year to people who are designing things to make life better. I'm not talking about the newest gizmo. I'm talking about library parks in Colombia. I'm talking about bicycle-powered corn huskers in Guatemala. I'm talking about sanitary pads for women made out of banana stem fibers in Rwanda. So tune in next week to hear from some of the people who are involved with the Currystone Design Prize who have designed those very things along with lots of great music. So that'll be next week's show. I hope you'll tune in on the 26th for that. Have a great holiday. Enjoy the solstice. If you celebrate Christmas, have a wonderful Christmas. We're going to go out with one last song from T.R. Ritchie called I'm Going to Take It With Me from his album Wild Horses. Have a great holiday. We'll see you next time on Paradigms on WBKM.org. When it's my time to go, it ain't the dying that I'll mind. But I'm sure gonna miss some things I'll have to leave behind. So I thought the whole thing through, and I've decided what to do. I'm gonna take it with me when I go. I'm gonna take it with me over to the glory land. I know they say it can't be done. But I've made other plans I'll have more than I can carry When I hear that trumpet blow Cause I'm gonna take it with me when I go I'll say goodbye to my old walking shoes And leave them here for someone else to use All our stories from the road Will add up to quite a load and that's what I'll take with me when I go And I'll hand down my guitar for someone else to play May it take him just as far as it took me in my day I'll miss it when I'm gone, but I'll hang on to my songs 
And that's what I'll take with me when I go I'm gonna take it with me over to the glory land I know they say it can't be done But I've made other plans I'll have more than I can carry when I hear that trumpet blow Cause I'm gonna take it with me when I Shall I mingle with the many friends I've known But I shall not forget the love and kindness I've been shown The light of all those hearts will be my beacon in the dark And that's what I'll take with me when I go I'm gonna take it with me over to the glory land I know they say it can't be done But I've made other plans have more than I can carry when I hear that trumpet blow Cause I'm gonna take it with me when I go I'll have more than I can carry when I hear that trumpet blow Cause I'm gonna take it with me when I been listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org.